You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. want to draw your attention to something right quick. We have a father and son team over here on the guitars this morning. Isn't that awesome? Is this the first time you guys have played together out here, I think? Second? Okay. I, sorry I didn't catch it the first time. Right. You guys are doing a great job. It's good to see that. Turn to uh, Genesis 39. Genesis 39. We are going to continue on this uh, narrative of, of Joseph and the the book of Genesis is basically a narrative. It's a it's a it's a series of stories and events that uh, bring the nation of Israel uh, basically eventually into the promised land. And and as you walk through the book of Genesis, you see the covenant promises that God made to Abraham play itself out. As in fact, if in a Jew, a Jewish person of the day of uh, the culture in which they heard this text. Or even today, people who are who are Jewish, Orthodox Jewish in particular, when they read these narratives, there's something in the back of their mind that is always prevalent, and that is the covenant, always the covenant. And whereas where you and I read a story about Joseph, we, we tend to focus on the integrity or the character traits of, of the main player in the story, right? So if we're looking at, say, Moses, uh, we're, we're impressed by his leadership and his courage. If we're looking at uh, David, uh, we're impressed by his worship and his devotion to God, that he was a man after God's own heart. If we're looking at Daniel, we think of Daniel's courage and his consistency and his perseverance. Uh, we can go on and on. And typically, when we, when we look at these, these characters that we've been hearing about ever since we were in Sunday school, if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school, you've been hearing about these both men and women who, who just were incredible people. The problem is, is we bring that to the text with us when we read the Bible. And, and what it does is when we start only looking at Joseph as just an example of integrity. And, and the thing about Joseph is it's easy to do this because with the Joseph text and with the Joseph narrative, there, there's not a lot here that points to any real character flaws. Even though we know, he, even though we know that he had them because he's born into sin, he's not perfect. So when we read a story like Joseph, we, we tend to focus on the, the great traits that we see in this man, and we fail to see what we should be seeing. Joseph is a good guy, no doubt about it. But if we look too much at Joseph's goodness, we'll miss the good God behind the good man. And that's a threat anytime we read anything in the Old Testament especially. We'll miss the good God behind the good man and the good God who is bringing about changes and events to fulfill his own desires and his own sovereignty. You see, it is absolutely God's will that Joseph make his way down to Egypt and not only make his way down to Egypt, but as we will see in the weeks ahead, that Joseph is going to become the second in charge of the most powerful nation on earth at this particular time. And that is also God's will. Now, between point A and point A being Joseph on the farm with his brothers, being the favorite son of Jacob, and being second in command over the most powerful nation, between point A and point B, we have a whole lot of life and a whole lot of mess that's going to happen. But what I want you to see and what I want you to focus on is two things. Number one, that God's providence, and we defined what that was last week, that God's hand is involved in your life. He is working in your life. Whether you see it, whether you don't, doesn't matter. God is providentially working in your life. And the details and the small things and the big things, as a Christ follower, you can make no mistake about it, God has his hands all up in your life, as we would say here in Rob Coe. He's all up in your life, okay? So I want you to see that as we continue through this narrative that, that God is all over the details in Joseph's life. Secondly, I want you to see that God's covenant promises are being fulfilled 
step by step, moment by moment, little decision here, little decision there. All of this is carrying us to somewhere, and where it's carrying us is to Egypt. Now, I, can't, I don't want to give up the whole big plot of the story, but there's a reason that God wants Joseph and especially the entire family to end up in Egypt. We'll find that out later. I just want you to understand now that there is no doubt that God is driving the whole scenario here, even in the worst experiences and the worst moments of Joseph's life. I mean, think about it. Joseph already had a pretty bad journey so far. Joseph has been sold out by his brothers simply because they hated him, and they hated him because he was the favorite. And whether Joseph intended to or not, he kind of flaunted this favoritism in front of his brothers, and his brothers get infuriated about it. And the symbolism of that favoritism was wrapped up in a multicolored coat. And every time he put that coat on, and every time he walked out of public with that coat, the vengeance and the anger and the hatred welled up in those brothers. And as you remember last week, here comes Joseph hopping and skipping across the farmland. The brothers see him coming. And they make a decision. This, this guy's got to go. We're not putting up with this anymore. We're not tolerating this mess anymore. And their first choice is to kill him. Now, now get, get this. This is the 12 tribes or what's going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is going to be the Israelite nation. This is God's people that he's separated from the world into himself. And these guys are going to plot to kill their own flesh and blood. And if Reuben had not intervened, they probably would have. And, of course, God's intervention as well. So Joseph is sold to some Ishmaelite traders. These are guys who travel the landscape buying and selling. They will deal in anything that they can make a profit on, especially human beings and slaves. So they buy Joseph. They buy a human being. They enslave him with the intention of selling him and making a profit. This good man, Joseph, and how he interacts and how he handles all of this is amazing, especially at 17 years old. But we would do a disservice to the text if all we see is the good man, Joseph. Because there is a great and awesome and mighty God behind Joseph that is not only empowering him, empowering him to be steadfast and persevere, but is also guiding all of these events towards his, his end. They buy Joseph in Dothan, and they make a 300-mile journey to Egypt. Now, as these Ishmaelite traders would make their journey, they're buying and selling. Whatever tribe they would come into, they would, they would sell whatever they had to make a profit and move on to the next tribe or the next group or the next city. But yet Joseph is with them through the entire 300-mile journey. It would have taken about 20 days to make this journey, maybe a little longer. And I would imagine that the circumstances of this travel and this journey has not been very good because remember, Joseph is enslaved, and he's going to be treated just like any other slave. Maybe not a lot of favor, maybe probably not a lot of comfort, probably not a lot of respect, but nonetheless, Joseph is being taken down to Egypt, and that was God's plan. And what blows my mind about the Joseph text and the Moses text and the Daniel text and the David text and wherever else you look is that God is willing to allow us to go through some hard stuff to accomplish his purposes and his will. And Christians, we've got to get this. We've got to wrap our arms around it because you've been seeking comfort too long. And you've even made it out to be that that is God's will for your life. His ultimate will for your life is comfort. When in fact, when I read the Scripture, both Old and New Testament, I find something completely different. That God in His purposes and in His will in your life and what He's going to accomplish in your life will often take you through terrible circumstances. I don't like that any more than you do. But it's especially true with Joseph. Well, I want you to notice something in verse 2. Let's look, look, look at verse 1. I want to highlight something for you. Chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an official, an officer of Pharaoh. So this guy Potiphar, he's a captain and an officer. It's a military designation. Uh, Potiphar probably would have been wealthy. He would have been influential. He would have had a lot of power. And it just so happens that these Ishmaelite traders are going to carry Joseph all the way the 300-mile journey to Egypt when they could have sold him anywhere along the way but he ends up in Egypt. 
And these Ishmaelite traders are going to sell Joseph to Potiphar, and Joseph is going to become a household slave and one of the most powerful men in the Egyptian empire. I'm going to tell you right now, there could have been a lot worse circumstances for Joseph. He, he could have been sold. He could have been killed. As a matter of fact, anywhere along this, this long journey, he could have been sold, and that would have been the end of Joseph's story if it had only been a human story. If there was nothing else involved other than Joseph and getting sold out by his brothers, he could have been sold out at any point in time, probably put to death, and that would be the end of the story of Joseph. And all we would ever know about Joseph is that he was Jacob's favorite, but that's not the end of the story for God. Now, I want you to see this verse, too. The Lord was with Joseph. Underline that, highlight that, put a little asterisk next to it if you write in your Bible. If you don't write in your Bible, write it in your bulletin. You need to know this. This is a common phrase. We see it all throughout Scripture. We, we see people praying for God's presence. We, say, we see people in the Old Testament asking that God's presence would not pull back from them. We, we see time and time again through all of these patriarchs where God's presence was with them. And, a, and, and, how, and through that, through God's presence with them, they accomplished incredible, mighty things. Now, from our perspective in the New Testament church, for us, it's not that just God comes alongside us. You see, in the New Testament, in the church, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God comes and lives in you. Joseph didn't have that opportunity. Jo Joseph had where God would come alongside him, empower him, be with him, literally, physically, spiritually present in that place. Wherever Joseph was, God was with him. But you see, you and I have this amazing, incredible, miraculous thing that takes place. Every time we put our faith, another person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And folks, that's a game changer for us. As a matter of fact, I would offer to you that this should be the greatest single pursuit of every human being in this room. That your Creator, the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, is offering to you not only salvation, but you can be free from the wrath of God. Your shame can be taken away and you can live with purpose and meaning in life and live in the love and the presence of God. But listen, God takes it a step further. He says, not only am I going to give you forgiveness and peace and freedom, I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to live inside of you. I am going to dwell in you, not, not alongside you. I'm not going to just show up when things are hard, but I'm going to be in your life, inside of you, dwelling as a temple. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us. And I'm telling you, folks, that should be the greatest pursuit of every human being in this room to not only know God, to be changed by Him, but to be indwelt by Him? It's off the chart. It's more than I can comprehend. Well, what kind of outward evidence? How, how does that look like? What, what does it look like when a person in Joseph's context is walking with God, in our context is indwelt by God? What does that look like? Well, let's take a look at Joseph's life and we'll see it. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Man, that is an incredible statement right there. We need to pause and take a look at that. Potiphar is a Gentile Egyptian who is worshiping a false god and multiple false gods. Potiphar being a good Egyptian and being a leader in the Egyptian military, he would have certainly been bowing the knee to a false god more than likely, the god Ra of the Egyptian culture. They had many gods, but specifically that god. So this man who worships a false god buys Joseph from some Midianite traders, brings him into his house, and immediately Potiphar noticed something different about this servant than all the rest of the servants that he had in his household. He notices that something's different about him. What would he have noticed? Well, Joseph's a hard worker. Joseph is honest. That Joseph has integrity and character. Even at 17, 18, maybe 19 years old, Potiphar sees in Joseph something that he doesn't see in all the other Egyptian slaves that he has in his household. And what is that? The very presence of God was manifest in his life. Here's the point, that when you walk with God and God walks with you, and especially in the New Testament age, with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, it is going to become manifest in your life. It's going to come out of your life. It's going to ooze out of every crevice of your life. You cannot be mistaken for anything other than a Christ follower when God has a hold of your life. 
This man sees Jehovah God in Joseph. His master, verse 3, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. You see, this is where we, get, we make the mistake. Potiphar sees that Joseph's success in his household is not because of Joseph, but because of God. Then why should we see it any differently? Yes, Joseph is a good guy, but there's a good God behind the good guy who is enabling Joseph to do what Joseph is doing. Listen, if Joseph was not walking with God, he'd be just another lazy, deadbeat servant, probably like some of the other servants. But Potiphar sees the difference. The difference is God. God always makes the difference. The Holy Spirit living in you, Christian, always makes the difference. And as God blessed Joseph, Potiphar experienced the blessings as well. Notice this, verse 4. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house. He put him in charge of all that he had, and from that time he made him overseer in his house of over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. I, I have seen this countless times down through the years. Where I'll have a, a couple, a married couple, and one person of that, of that marriage is a born-again Christian, living for Christ, following faithfully, and the other person is not. And this other person is antagonistic against them. They, they, they make fun of them. Maybe, maybe that's your situation. Maybe that's the situation you find yourself in today that maybe you came to faith in Christ after you were married and your spouse thinks what you're doing here this morning is an absolute joke. And maybe they're ridiculing you for it. But did you know that because of your faithfulness, because you're walking with Jesus, and because the Lord lives in you, did you know that not only are you experiencing blessings, but that unbeliever in your house is also experiencing the blessings? Listen, if you're, if you're the unbeliever in that marriage, if you're the one that's, that's only here this morning because your wife or your husband made you come, can I speak to you just a moment? I think if we could be honest for just a moment, because of the faithfulness of your spouse, you have experienced the blessings of God, even though you don't even believe in Him. And why is it, unbelieving spouse, that when you have a hardship, when you have sickness, when you're facing difficult times, the first person you run to is your spouse to pray for you? Isn't that interesting? I believe you know deep down, because of your spouse's faithfulness to Christ, your household has been blessed over and over and over again. You see, Potiphar, a Gentile idol, idol worshiper, is being blessed simply because Joseph is being faithful in that household. And Potiphar sees Jehovah God. And I would imagine, and we don't, we don't have any more story of Potiphar after we move on here, but I would imagine that Potiphar is being impacted by the reality of this man named Joseph who follows Jehovah God. I would imagine that years later he would not be able to shake this reality. I would have loved to have known the rest of the story. But as God blessed Joseph, Potiphar experienced the blessings as well. Let me ask you a question. Are the people in your office, the people in your home, are they better off because you follow Christ faithfully? In other words, they see Christ in you. Christ has been made manifest in your life day in and day out in the way you live, your integrity, your honesty, your character. And because of that, the people around you who are not even believers are better off simply because of your faith in Jesus. Do they even know that you follow Jesus? Notice what else happens. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was a strapping young man. Handsome. Maybe he had the six-pack or the eight-pack or the defined triceps and biceps. Anyway, he, this, he's got it going on. And he catches the attention of Potiphar's wife. Now, make sure you keep this in context. Joseph has been put in charge of Potiphar's house. The only thing that Joseph does not have control over is what Potiphar eats at his table. Everything else in the household, everybody's answering to Joseph. That's a lot of trust that Potiphar's put in this Hebrew. That's a lot of trust that he's put in this young man who's still maybe even a teenager at this point. And now Potiphar's wife, Cast her eyes on Joseph, verse 7. And he said, or she said, 
lie with me. Now, I don't have to go into any deep detail about what we're meaning here, right? We're all on the same page. This woman is pursuing Joseph um, for physical satisfaction, shall we say. I have some kids in the room, so I want to keep it as G as I can. She is pursuing him. It's not just one time. It's not just two times. It's every single day. This woman is pursuing Joseph. Joseph is in a situation where I'm imagining he's a little freaked out about the whole situation because he's got all this power, all this control, all this trust, and all this authority that has been invested in him by Potiphar. Verse 8, but he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put me... He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not great. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Now I want you to hear what Joseph is saying here. And this is multiple times that he's saying this to this woman. He says to this woman, how in the world can I violate the trust of your husband by participating in this evil act with you and break the trust and break the investment and break the generosity of your husband on my behalf? He has treated me wonderfully. He has taken care of me and he's given me all this responsibility. How in the world can I do this and break his heart and break his trust? But there's more. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. You see, Joseph responds and he says, how can I break my relationship with God and how can I break my my relationship with your husband by doing this evil act? He calls it exactly what it is. He recognizes it for what it is. It's sin and it's evil and it's wicked. And if he participates in this, not only will the Lord not walk with him, but Potiphar, Potiphar may destroy him. God has blessed Joseph. God has blessed Potiphar. But I want you to understand something. This is the second point I want you to see here. For every move of God, for every blessing of God, for every advancement of the kingdom, for every time the gospel goes forth, there is always a counter move from darkness. Always. You look at Scripture, you find it over and over again. You find it with Noah. You find it with with Abraham. You find it with his sons. You find it over and over and over again in the text. And what do we find? We see the advancement of God's kingdom, and then we see some subversion of the kingdom by Satan and his enemy and the enemies of light. You find it everywhere. And here it is. God is blessing. God is moving. God is using Joseph. Joseph is impacting Potiphar. The household's doing well, doing as well as it's ever done. We don't know how long or how much time transpired. It was probably quite a bit. And God is blessing. But in that moment of blessing, make sure you understand, be on the lookout for the advancement of darkness somewhere in your life. For these baptismal candidates, I'm just going to tell them, they're probably going to face some hardship tomorrow. Just want you to know. Something may blindside you tomorrow because you were faithful today. But you've got to also understand that nothing's going to thwart the kingdom. Nothing's going to side, sidetrack God. God is going to get His will. It's going to be accomplished. But here in this moment, here in this moment, Joseph is not going to bow the knee to darkness. And think about it. He had all of the opportunity to engage. He, he could have gotten away with this. He, he could have. He could have had it all. He could have had all of his physical desires met. He could have had all of the power, all of the control. He probably could have kept it from Potiphar for a period of time. For a while, he could have had it all. But Joseph goes, no, no, I recognize that for what that is. That's a bear trap, and I'm not sticking my foot in it. Because I'm not going to violate his trust, and I'm not going to violate God's commandment, God's guidance, God's wisdom. I'm not going to disobey the Lord who's walking with me. He knew it was wrong. Something that I found, and I hope that as a disciple of Christ, you're seeing this too, but the more you walk with God, the more the Lord works in you, walks in you, and is living in your life, the longer that goes on, the more aware you become of wickedness and sin and the effects that it has on your life and your relationships. 
You should be more aware now of the damage of sin and wickedness and disobedience in your life now, 25 years, 10 years, 15 years into your Christian walk, than you did the day you got baptized. You should be recognizing the bear traps for what they are. You should be recognizing that Satan is casting traps for you and you don't have to step in them. If you're continually stepping in the same trap over and over and over again, and it's been 20 years since you started following Christ, there is something seriously wrong in your life. Because I'm telling you, the circumstances of your own bad choices, that's a pretty good teacher. It's a hard teacher, isn't it? Joseph, as he walks with the Lord, as he's surrendered to the Lord, as he's obedient to the Lord, the more he trusts him, the more he understands him, the more he knows what is right or wrong, the more he lives for Christ. It's this, it's this endless cycle. As you live for Christ, and the more you're obedient to him, the more you become obedient to him. That's why baptism is so important. That's why we talked about this a few weeks ago. That it's that first step of obedience. That's not to say that these candidates haven't been trying to be obedient. What I'm saying is, is this is the first public act of obedience. Where do you declare, without any hesitation, your faith in Jesus Christ? And I really do think that from that point on, as you follow Christ, you become more aware. You become, you understand the influence that you have. Notice what happens, verse 11. Now, right there in verse 10, we see day after day, she would pursue him. Day after day, she would, she would try to get him to conform. And, and by the way, when he said no to her, it made her extreme, extremely angry. I no doubt in my mind, when he, when, she, when he rejected her advances, it set her off. Verse 11, but one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. If we could find a place where Joseph drops the ball, here it is. Now, I don't know what's going on in the mind of Joseph. I don't know if he's so busy about his to-do list. He's busy about Potiphar's work. He's doing his job. But he wanders into the house one day, and there's nobody else in the house but Potiphar's wife. Now, I don't know if she set this up. I don't know if she had all the servants leave. I have no idea. But there is a trap set for Joseph. And I think this is her last, one last push to accomplish what she wants to accomplish. But there's no one in the house, so the stage is set. So there's not going to be any witnesses. It's going to be his word against her word. Verse 12, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Good job, Joseph. You didn't even hesitate. Joseph, I don't know if he does some kind of spin move or what he does, but he spins around, the cloak comes off, and man, he bolts out of that house like a bullet, puts it in his rearview mirror, and he thinks it's over with. He thinks it's just one more day where she's advancing, but oh no, she has a plan. You know what her plan is? It's to bring the servants together. And as soon as she saw what he, that he had left his garment in her hand, that he fled out, she called to him the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew who life at us. He came to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. You see what she's doing here, right? Instead of waiting for Potiphar to get home and tell Potiphar what's going on, she brings the household servants in. She sets the story up. She sets Joseph up, and by the time Potiphar gets home, everybody's already talking about what's happened. He, he's already guilty as far as the mind of the servants are going. He's already been convicted, charged, and all that's awaiting now is the punishment, even though he did nothing wrong. Matter of fact, he did everything right. Which brings me to my third point. Walking with God with integrity does not always mean you're going to be rewarded on the spot. You could do the right thing for the right motivation, for the right reasons. You could, do, you could, be, you could be completely obedient in Christ and still get the brunt of the response of people around you. You can still end up in a mess even though you did the right thing. You know why that is? It's because we live in a broken, fallen world, and as our world progressively gets deeper in sin, they're having a hard time even recognizing what is right and what is wrong. Our community, our world, the standard of right and wrong is being diluted day after day after day. And then when finally somebody like yourself, who's a Christ follower, does the right thing for the right reasons, it's not even recognized as right anymore. So just because you're following Christ and just because He's walking with you and just because you do the right thing for the right reasons does not mean you're going to be rewarded for it. Not in this life. 
So she sets him up, and guess what happens? Potiphar comes on, verse 19. Potiphar comes on, as soon as the master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and rightfully so. I mean, if he believes that this guy who he's invested so much in and given so much power and so much influence and so much authority, if he would use all of that and take advantage of his own wife, rightfully so, he should be angry. And his culture would have dictated on this day, all he had to do is go find Joseph, take him out in the yard and command a servant to take his head off. He was completely justified in his culture to do that. Even though Joseph had done nothing wrong. And you know what amazes me? Is that Potiphar didn't do that. I mean, just think about the anger he would have had, regardless if the story's untrue. Just think about the anger that he had. And he could have easily acted in that anger and taken Joseph outside and ended his life, and that would have been the end of Joseph's story. But we have to ask the question, we have to wonder, why did Potiphar not do exactly that? As a matter of fact, Potiphar takes Joseph and puts him in prison, but not just any prison. A prison where political captives would be held by Pharaoh. Now, you got to get this. Prison's bad, right? But there were a whole lot worse situations. Even if Potiphar spared his life, there was a whole lot of worse situations that Joseph could have found himself in in Egypt rather than political prison. Now, we have to ask the question, why in the world did Potiphar not take his life? Well, it goes back to what I told you at the very beginning. Joseph is going to Egypt. He's going to be second in charge. God is in control. And in that moment, God moved and moved Potiphar's heart away from killing him in that moment. That's the only explanation I can come up with, is that God is sovereignly, completely, providentially in control of every circumstance in Joseph's life and is guiding it to his ends and his purposes. And I want you to see this lastly. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. That's exactly where we started. The Lord was with Joseph when his brothers threw him into the pit. The Lord was with Joseph when Reuben intervenes and steers the brothers away from killing him. The Lord was with Joseph when Joseph was sold to those Ishmaelite traders that just happened to show up out in the middle of the wilderness, God was with Joseph as Joseph makes the 300-mile journey all the way to Egypt when he could have been sold any point along the way. God is with Joseph when Joseph gets sold to Potiphar to be a household slave. The Lord was with Joseph when Joseph gets elevated in power and authority inside Potiphar's home. The Lord was with Joseph even when this woman makes these advances towards him and takes his cloak, starts a lie about him, ends up getting him thrown into prison, that the Lord is there with him every single step of the way. Notice what else the Lord adds in here. Not only is the Lord with him, but the Lord showed him steadfast love. Now, why do you think that's included there? I'll tell you why. Because this is what Joseph needed in this particular moment. Put yourself in his position. I mean, you think about all the ups and downs and ups and downs. and He's still a young man. All the pain that he's experienced, all the trouble he's experienced. If there's anything that Joseph needs to know while he's in this prison, is that God's love has not wavered a single moment in his life. So not only is the Lord with Joseph, but his steadfast love is present and real. It's never wavered a bit. And not only that, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So the same cycle that you saw with Potiphar is going to play itself out again in the prison where God is going to bring Joseph up to a place of authority and leadership. But yes, it's still in prison. Yes, it's still in difficult circumstances. And the amazing thing is, as we'll see next week, Joseph is going to be in that prison for a long time. Everything that we've looked at this morning, this is not like a single day or two days or a couple of weeks. Time is passing. These are long journeys in darkness, long journeys in difficulty. And it's almost as though the blessings of God or what we would account as the blessings where everything is going great and his life is all lined up, that seems to be very short in between these long spans of difficulty, trouble, and pain. 
What I want to leave you with is that God is still with us even in the dungeons of life. Here Joseph finds himself in another dungeon. And why is he there? Because of God's providence. Joseph is a good guy. Joseph has been doing the right things, but what has the right things and the good things got him? Got him right back in prison. No freedom. Loss of influence. Potiphar's house thinks he's an adulterer. Following Christ, giving your life to Christ and following Him day in and day out is not always going to guarantee that you're going to live in a mansion of opulence. It's going to take you into some dungeons. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. Some of those dungeons are deep, they're dark, they're cold, and they're hard. But even in that dungeon, even in that storm, even in that place, God is with you and God's steadfast love is being poured out on you by the bucket's loads. What do we normally do in those situations? What is it we normally do when we get in the dungeon? Well, we tend to blame God. We tend to get angry with Him. We tend to ignore the fact that He's right there with us. We forget everything that we know about Scripture and what it says. We tend to have a pity party in that moment. And yet, God's love, God's provision, God's presence, His power, is right there with us. And could it be that the place that he's taking us through, the storm that you're in, the dungeon you find yourself in, the mess in your life, in your family, in your job, could it be that that God is going to teach you some things and show you some things there that he couldn't show you any other way? Honestly, folks, I, I never thought, I never thought I would get to the place where I would be able to say this. Some of the hardships in my life, some of the, some of the deep places, I've gotten to the place in my life, not all of them, but the majority of them. When I look back and I, I take a look at it, I, I'm finally to the point where I can say, God, thank you for that. I don't say that to puff, puff myself up. I don't, I don't say that to put myself on a pedestal. I say that to simply be transparent as I can with you. But there's some stages in my life that at the time I was bitter, I was angry. I thought God had abandoned me when in fact he didn't. And through that journey, God brings me out. He shows His steadfast love to me over and over. It was already there. I just didn't see it. And God brings me out. And after you get some years and some time after that, you look back at that and you go, that was one of the times that God did something in my life that could have only been done in that valley, in that pit, in that dungeon, in that storm. Through it all, Joseph is walking with God. God is with him. And the dungeons, the storms of life, you know what they they tend to do? They tend to reveal the steadfast love of God for you. On that mountaintop, when everything's going perfect and grand, just like it was in Potiphar's house, it's it's easy to recognize it, right? We equate the blessings of God of easy life, that everything's easy. We equate that with God being good and God blessing us. But when all that goes away and things turn dark, we tend to blame him and turn around on him and say, well, God, you're not here, when in fact he is. So in those moments of darkness and in those moments of pain and in those moments of difficulty, that's where you learn about God's steadfast love. But there's something else we learn there. There's something else that comes to the top. There's something else that's revealed, not just God's love for us, but our love for God. You see, the hardship and the storm and the dungeon has a way of peeling back all the masks that we put on and the reality of who we are is laid bare. And for some of you here this morning, because of the storm you're in, the mess you're in, the difficulty you're in, there's something fundamental missing in your life. There's a big hole in the middle of your heart that no matter what you try to fill it up with in the mess you're in, nothing's working. Could it possibly be that the storm has been designed to reveal how far you are from God that in fact you're lost? That you've been trying to force religion, the practice of religion, into that hole, and it's not working. It's all left you dry, that going to church over and over again, coming to events over and over again, going to Christian concerts over and over again, it just simply does not suffice to for the storm that you're in. You know why? It's because you're trying to force an idol into a place that only Jehovah God can fit. And it will never work. The storms can reveal where you really stand with Christ. It can reveal the love of God. 
And it's through that journey, Christian, disciple, Christ follower, it's in that journey, it's in that place that God can purge some things out of your life that need to be purged out of your life. Some things that you don't need after all. It's amazing when we get to the place that the only thing we've got is God. Many of you have been there, some of you are there now. But the only thing you've really got is your faith in Jesus Christ. It's amazing the things that God can teach you and get out of your life at that moment when you realize that Jesus Christ is enough. He's enough. He's more than enough. Too many times in my life, God has had to take me to the bottom to help me to see that Jesus Christ is, in fact, all that I ever need. Father in heaven, the amazing thing is is that you know the hearts of every person in the room at this very moment. Nothing's hidden from you. I'm I'm grateful for, for Joseph's life. I'm grateful that he did persevere. But Father, beyond this man, behind this man, is your sovereign grace, your care, your steadfast love. And Father, we, we, we wonder at it. We, we look at it and we see it and we're just amazed at your goodness and your grace. And Father, we stand in need of it this morning. So Father, my, my prayer on behalf of these people is that if they're in that storm, Things are not going the way they had planned. Life has not turned out the way they had thought it would. The walls are crashing in. and It seems like wave after wave after wave of trouble is coming. Father, for the ones in this room who've never put faith in you, you're using all of that to get their attention, to show them their need for you, to show them that without you, without you, then nothing else is ever going to work in life. Father, I, I pray that today their cry to you would be not pull me out of this mess. Their, their cry to you would not be make everything good again. But their cry to you would not be just comfortable living. But their cry to you would be, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Set me free from the wrath to come that I put my faith in you. I repent and turn from my old life and I give you my life completely and totally and fill that hole that's been in my life for so long. I pray that's what they would cry out to you this morning. For the disciples in this room, I, I know how easy it is, Father, to slip off into blaming you rather than walking with you. I know how easy it is, Father, to get, to become cold and indifferent towards you and to blame you for all of our problems, especially when you don't deliver us out when we ask you to. I know how that bitterness can take hold of our hearts. I know, Father, what it's like to get to that cold, dark place and just turn my back on you. I believe I'm not the only one. Father, I pray that right now in this moment you put your hand upon their heart, reveal your steadfast love to them, that you are with them. And Father, there may be some things in their life that they're putting their trust in that is never going to be able to suffice. In this moment, have your will in your way. We ask it, we beg for it. We seek it more than anything this morning. Move as only you can. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship together. If you have a need, I'll be glad to pray with you this morning.
church here. His name's Dewan. Uh, Dewan's a paraplegic, uh, was in a, in a wheelchair from a gunshot uh, wound, and we had the opportunity to baptize him. Uh, just one of the well, the moments of ministry that I'll never forget. This church graciously and generously helped him get back to Houston, Texas. Uh, I flew with him down. We got him, got him into a rehab facility down there, and things have been going really well for Dewan. Um, he, he's been doing great, but um, he just got diagnosed with bladder cancer. Um, and I honestly, folks, I, I, with all that he's been through, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. This is Octavia's brother. Um, Octavia was sharing with me, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people visiting with Juan and checking on him and keeping up with him. And I know that he suffers with depression and I, I can't imagine where he is right now. 
Um, what I would encourage you to do is find him on Facebook. Um, what's his name on Facebook? I can't, has he got it listed? Max Thompson. So search that out. Send him a message, if you would, of encouragement. Send him some Bible verses. Let him know that you're praying. Uh, I'm going I'm to ask the Lord and see if I can go down. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I, I just feel compelled after what she told me a few minutes ago. I think I need to somehow get down there and make a visit. Uh, it's kind of a long, long trip, but the Lord will take care of that. So be praying for Dewan. Another prayer request is Miss Fruity Carter. Miss Fruity is uh, Jerry Carter's sister. She's been fighting cancer for gosh, more than four years. I, I can't even remember how long it's been. Uh, she's in the hospital at Chapel Hill, not doing well. So if you would be praying for Miss Fruity. Um, there are several I can't mention, several I won't mention. But I'm telling you, with every advance of the kingdom, with every advance of the kingdom, there's a counter move by Satan. And I'm seeing it all through this congregation. I'm seeing it. I'm hearing it. I'm witnessing it. Greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world. So, Father, may our, may our house be a house of prayer. May this house be a house of prayer. Always. So, Father, when we we make a commitment to pray somebody, for someone. May we follow through with that commitment. May it not be just lip service. If somebody confesses to us a prayer need, that we should take it seriously enough to pray about it. Father, you're working miracles even in the dungeons of life. And I'm simply amazed at how great and awesome and mighty you are and how good you are. And I thank you for revealing your steadfast love to those in the darkest places of this congregation in this community. Thank you, Father, for those who've been baptized this morning. We, we celebrate, we celebrate those moments, all the while knowing we live in a broken world. So, Father, help us to, on the one hand, celebrate and worship, but on the other hand, have the whole armor of God, have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the shoes shod with the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, and the sword, which is the word of God. May we go out of this place prepared to do battle. Because make no mistake about it, the forces of darkness are prepared. You've given us all we need. Jesus, you're all we need. May we trust and follow you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.